What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. All right, verse 2. It says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Last week, we spent the whole time on just that one little portion. I want to remind you, church, that the Bible is inexhaustible. I could probably spend all of today on your love is better than wine, which is the, 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 the second half of that, but I'm not going to do that today. But the Word of God is just so deep. It's so rich. And so I want to encourage you, meditate on His Word until it becomes in you something that you are walking in. That you become like Jesus. He was the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. So that you say, man, I want him to kiss me. I desire intimacy with him. I am one with him. Verse 2, the second part, it says your love is better than wine. This is, would be point number nine. Last week I gave you eight reasons on why, even though Solomon wrote it, but it was the Holy Spirit speaking through him because he doesn't understand this type of intimacy with a woman. And so this would be point number nine. How many women in here, if your husband had 700 other wives and 300 concubines, would you say, hey, kiss me? No, you would be upset. You'd be like ready to knock that guy out, right? So again, (laughs) we're seeing a relationship here that is written by the Holy Spirit, by Christ himself being king, and this woman responding back like Jesus wants the bride to respond back. So, hey, can you say your love, Jesus, is better than wine? Wine represents joy and celebration in the Bible. Uh, Do you know the Israelites were told to bring wine to their feasts and festivals, right? Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. And so the king is here. Let us celebrate. Psalm 104, 15, it says, you give us wine to gladden the heart of man. Wine makes the heart glad. Now, if you are in AA or struggling with, with an addiction, this is not your life verse, okay? Can I get a witness? His love is better than anything else that the world has to offer. That's what she's saying. Wine represents the pleasures of this world. Can you and I say that? If there was your favorite show that came on, but yet you are feeling drawn to be with Jesus, would you shut the show down? Some of us have a DVR, so it's a little bit, I guess that wasn't funny. Um, when you think about your favorite event, when you think about your favorite experience, when you think about your favorite things, do you, can you honestly, when you look at the eyes of Christ, say your love is better than anything else this world has to offer? I am completely content in your love. I'm completely satisfied in your love. This is the question. This is where she was. She wanted to be intoxicated by his love. She is craving something deeper. See, this is more than just a transaction. A lot of us have received the transaction gospel that if I pray this prayer and he forgives me of my sin, I put my faith in him, right? I get my sins forgiven. I get to go to heaven when I die. It's a legal transaction. This isn't that. There's nothing wrong with that. We need that legal transaction. In fact, Colossians chapter 2 speaks to that, that the legal requirements have been nailed to the cross. They've been done away with. The, 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 the enemy has lost his right. So legal transactions, good. But this, this is an emotional, passionate relationship where she's like, oh, your love, it's better than anything. I find such pleasure in your love, Jesus Verse 3, your anointing oils, they're fragrant, and your name is oil poured out. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, the virgins, and you can write beside that, pure. See, those who are pure, they, they love your name. 
This is why Jesus says light is coming to the world, but darkness, they didn't want the light because their deeds are evil. But those who have a pure heart, they will see God. They will encounter God. And so those who are pure, they love you. Those who are not pure, they avoid you. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Jeremy, if you could throw up that picture. These are the names of Jesus. And these aren't all of them, by the way. I have a book with 365 names that would give you one name for every day. And imagine yourself, disciple, and I encourage you to do this, to sit with the Lord for five minutes meditating on just one of his names. If you really, really walked with him like he's Emmanuel, it would change everything. You would never go into another meeting nervous. Why? He's with me. And I'm in this room, but I'm irrelevant right now because the king is here. Are you kidding me? I'm never alone anymore. Imagine what would happen to fear if you really dwelled in Emmanuel. Can you imagine the kind of fragrance that you would put off? If you believed in his names and his name is like oil poured out, you know, if I was to wear cologne and Colleen was close to me, she would walk away. And who would she smell like me? Hopefully the cologne, by the way, right? Psalm 45 Verse 6, and by the way, Psalm 45 is a messianic psalm. Just jot it down. I want to read it to you. It says this, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions And your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia from ivory places stringed with instruments and make you glad. Man, Jesus has a fragrance upon him that someday we're going to know. Not only are we going to see him high and lifted up in his glory, but there's going to be a fragrance emanating from his throne that we will one day encounter. And she is saying, I am so close to you that I can smell you, that I know your scent. She was in love. And guess what? You have to be close to get somebody's scent. Do you want to be close with Jesus? Do you want to be so close that he becomes a fragrance that you walk in? In Corinthians, it says that we are the fragrance and the aroma of Christ. It is who we are when we walk in the room. We're not coming in our name. We're coming in his name. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do it as unto the Lord. And so I don't do anything in my name. It's not about Chris Tress. It's about Christ in me, the hope of glory, because there's no hope with me. I want to do everything in his name. And that name carries a weight. It carries an aroma. Verse 4, Song of Songs 1, it says, draw me after you. Here's the thing. I don't want to get into Calvinism and, and free will and all that. Just understand what Jesus declares in John chapter 6. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. No one can come. No one can come. And so we want to take that and not just understand it theologically, because theology is very important, but we want it to come to a place where we're crying out to Jesus saying, draw me after you, draw me after you, God, stir me. I've become complacent. I've become apathetic. My love has grown cold. Will you fan the flame upon my heart again so that I burn for you like I used to? Those early days of salvation, 
where I would just sing and put on worship music for hours and nobody was around. It was just you and me alone. Will you do that again? Will you bring me back to that place, God? Draw me after you. And this needs to become a cry for every disciple. Draw me after you. The next part, it says, let us run. If you're taking note, this is obedience in action. Obedience in action. Let us run. You're made to run. We're made to run with our great king. I want you to turn to Hebrews 12, please. Hebrews 12. And if I was you and I was taking note in my Bible, I'd say that place, let us run, I'd put right above it, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, because as a student of the word, I want to make sure that I'm really trying to understand what God is saying. And some of us in here can't run because we've been defiled. We've defiled ourselves, And because of that defilement and that sin that entangles us, we can't run like we're supposed to run. Later on, he calls her a horse, by the way. But it's a horse that's pulling Pharaoh's chariots running. And some of you are kind of limping through this thing called life. Listen to Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run. There it is. Song of Songs 1-4. Let us run. You are made to run with your great king. You're made to run with the body of Christ. We're called to run together. Psalm 18. By you, I can run against a troop. By you, I can leap over a wall. We are called to conquer. We are called to be the victorious ones. It is who we are, but we got stuff clinging to us, so we can't run. I used to come home. When I was little, this doesn't happen anymore, and it breaks my heart. Daddy's home, and little Christopher and Riley would push each other out of the way, and they'd cling to one leg, cling to another leg, and the rule was, Mama gets the first kiss, because she's numero uno. And I'd walk with both kids hanging onto my legs, and I couldn't run to my bride, not that they're little sinners, but actually, they, they are little sinners. Those who don't believe people can sin have never had children. Anyway. We can't run because something is it's hindering. It's hindering. And we're not focused on Jesus. See, when my eyes lock with you, Hebrews 12, 2, looking at Jesus. See, that's what we talked about last week, that intimacy, looking and locking eyes. I'm one with you. My focus is on you. It's not on me. It's not on what's hindering me. My focus is on you, Jesus, because I'm just so in love. I've got dove's eyes. Doves have no peripheral. Straight ahead. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, the author and finisher, another translation says. What he started, he will finish. What he started, he will finish. He's not going to leave you undone. He's not going to leave you broken. He's not going to leave. He is going to finish what he starts. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. We were his joy. And he endured the cross. And he despised his shame and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. If he is our joy, we too will endure the cross. And we will get rid of every weight that is holding us back. Listen, I'm nothing against. I want you to turn to Titus 1.15, please. Titus 1.15. I have nothing negative to say about the Asbury revival. I love it. People were worshiping Jesus for weeks straight. That's phenomenal. But my question is, Here's my question. After the revival ended, was there accountability in place so that the students that were struggling with pornography before the revival didn't go back to to pornography? That's a real question. 
And sometimes, guys and girls, we can be emotional spiritually, but we don't have a plan discipleship-wise. Both are needed, and we're going to get more into that. Parents, it's not if your kids see pornography, but when they see it. It's when they see it, so you need to prepare yourself. I've seen young kids, boys, viewing homosexual pornography at a young age, and then all of a sudden it leads them on that trajectory and path because it has defiled them with their little eyes. My wife has all my codes, by the way, and I want to encourage you to allow your spouse to see whatever she wants to see or he able to see whatever he... Full transparency, nothing held back. Why? It's important to have accountability. The statistics are 70% of men in the church are on pornography. This is in the church. I'm not talking about the world. Those without the Holy Spirit, I'm talking about in the church. This is why the church isn't running like she should, by the way. It's one of the reasons. It's one of the things that's defiling and entangling so so we can't move forward because we have this holding us down. 30% of females in the church struggle with pornography. Over 50% of pastors struggle with pornography, which is why it's probably not talked about in half the churches in America. I had a couple people come to me and been in church for 25 years after this last service said, that's never been talked about in our church. Are you kidding me? We need to talk about it a lot. If these statistics are true, we need to be free. There's no condemnation in Christ. There's no guilt. There's no shame. Man, we want you free. God wants you free. He wants you free. And if you keep things hidden, you're never going to be free. Porn is the number one reason men in the church seek counseling. They don't seek it in the church. Why? Afraid might get rejected? Pride? Afraid somebody's going to judge me? Listen, not here. If you are judged or condemned in this place, you come get me. Because I'm going to get those people. (laughs) Romans 8.1 says, There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you ever feel condemned, that ain't the Holy Spirit. Conviction, and hopefully when I'm preaching sometimes, there's a conviction, and conviction is different than condemnation. Conviction is, hey, this is what you're doing. It's not good. You're defiling yourself, but I'm here to pull you out of it. That's the Holy Spirit who will never leave you or forsake you. Condemnation is, look at you. What's wrong with you? You're never going to change. You're always going to be like that. You're a dog that goes back to a vomit. Know the difference in the voices. Know the difference in the church. Jeremy, go ahead and put up the stats on the top 20 countries in America. And unfortunately, the United States is number one in pornography. Make America great? We might want to think about that. We need to repent as a nation. Next picture. This is what happened with Corona. The spike, it just went up. Why? Because when somebody has nothing to do, their real love's going to come forward. Their real addiction's going to come forward. No wonder people didn't want to go back to work after Corona, I guess, huh? Yeah, I guess we see why. Bad joke, I know. Cell phones. So parents... Teens, you know, it's all of us, but 86%, this is the United States, if you can't see it up top, the blue represents porn in 2022 on the cell phone. So some of us can't have a cell phone. We need to get the old school flip phone. Everybody's going to make fun of you, but it's better to be made fun of than your whole body get thrown into hell. That might be a thing you might want to cut off. 11% on the desktop and the the rest is on the tablet, so the majority is on the cell phone. All right, gender. Our world is trying to say girls and guys are the same. No, we're not. We're different. Statistics prove it out. Science proves that out, too. There's only male and female. Science 
Bible. So here we have the male in the dark blue percentage of male, and it's around 70% of men, and female around 30%, okay? And so men and women were just made differently. So Jeremy, next slide, please. This is why this study found 100, (laughs) anyway. Every guy in here (laughs) knows we would have did what Adam did. Uh, Anyway. Next slide, Jeremy. An investigation by the London Times found dozens of illegal videos on Pornhub within minutes, some of children as young as three years old. And it's sad. Men in their 30s are having erectile dysfunction because from age 10 and 11, they've been on porn all day long. And things ain't working right. And God can heal that, by the way. I'll never forget a time where I was in the Glades Correctional Facility and I ran into a former ministry dude at another ministry, but he was in ministry, full-time ministry. And I said, dude, why why are you here? His marriage wasn't working. He started watching porn. The porn turned into child porn. And because he was watching that and he was also getting prostitutes, he started evangelizing on the beach to make himself feel better. So he was leading people to Christ. People were actually getting saved. But he was doing it to make up for what he was doing in secret. That continued to grow. That continued to grow, and he exposed himself to a a high school uh, bus of middle schoolers going to school. Cops caught him. He got a number of years in prison. He lost his family. His wife divorced him. He was never going to be able to spend time alone with his kids. Sexual predator his whole life. His life is ruined, and I'm telling you that story because he's like, I never knew it would lead me to that. Sin will take you farther than you think it will take you. I want you to understand, you're listening to a pastor today that found pornography when I was in eighth grade. And as I began to look at that, the thoughts, because I I prayed a prayer to follow Jesus, right? But the thoughts came in, look at you, you hypocrite. Look what you're doing. God doesn't want to talk to you. Stop doing that. Until you stop doing that, don't go to God. And that lie built a stronghold in me. Now I became addicted to pornography. Now I cheated on every single girlfriend that I ever had. I became a luster, a womanizer. I even got to the place where I've had prostitutes. And I say that to my own shame. If you were to tell me that in high school, bro, no way. What a loser. Somebody that would have to purchase prostitutes. But sin took me farther than I thought I would ever go. It had me bound. It had me bound. I was a slave to sin. It defiled me. Titus 1.15, you should be there by now. It says to the pure, all things are pure. Oh God, would you purify your bride again? Would you purify us again? But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. And so at the end, man, I just want to pray over people that God cleanse us of this defilement. Defilement that because of what we viewed through pornography, we've actually brought this into our marriage bed. Both guys and girls. We've had conversations in the church. Um, hey, are we allowed to dirty talk during sex? 
Well, let me just say, uh, in chapter 7, the word breasts is there. So you could probably use the word breasts. But why would you even ask that question? Can I dirty talk? Ephesians 4.29 says this, don't let any corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Ephesians 5.4 says, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place. Colossians 3.8 says, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. You must put them all away. Jesus says in Matthew 12.34, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? Out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. And so some of us are bringing dirty talk into the marriage bed, which should be holy and undefiled, not be because of it's the spirit it's because we've been defiled by pornography and we're bringing in all we know i've even had to counsel christian husband and wife who thought it was a good idea the wife actually brought it up hey sweetie in order to spice things up let's watch porn together not realizing what Scripture says. See, this is why I I tell you guys, if you do not have the Word of God over your feelings, you're in trouble, over your ideas, over what the world says, because the Word of God has an answer for everything that you're going to deal with. Should I bring porn into the marriage bed? Jesus says, you've heard that it was said. Matthew 5, 27, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent already has committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown in hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body going to hell. Why is Jesus so extra here? And by the way, don't cut off your hand. Don't gouge out your eye. We'll put you on a plan to get well. He's trying to make a point that this is how I see the sin of lust and pornography. It's a warning by Jesus. Like, this is really, really serious. The Greek word here is the word blepo. means a continual looking. Look, you can't stop birds from flying over your head but you can stop them from making a nest in your hair. And so we've got to bounce. We've got to look away. Jeremy, go ahead and show this video of a pastor who never knew where he would be. I thought that today my story came out, my ministry would be over. Turns out that's the day it started. Reputation was everything for me. I set out uh, to build a good reputation and to protect it, which meant that there were parts of my life that I couldn't let anybody see. There were some battles I had to fight alone. I got my first look at hardcore pornography on a seminary-sponsored trip to New York City. My wife was with me. They took us on a tour of Times Square so that we could see firsthand how women are exploited by the sex business. I was shocked by what I saw and disgusted by it. But I was also fascinated. It hit me, hooked me. I didn't just like porn. I became obsessed with it. And it eventually took me places I never intended to go. So before I know it, I'm a I'm a pastor, married, three kids, and I'm picking up my first hooker on my way to lead a candlelight service on Christmas Eve. 
lasted five years in the ministry. I was never caught, but I was terrified of losing my reputation. My life was out of control. I'd lost any hope that I could stop what I was doing, so I bailed on the ministry, went into business, succeeded in business. But that's about the only thing I succeeded at. Those were dark years. My life got smaller and smaller. I hated what I was doing. I remember so many times screaming at God as I pulled away from some place I shouldn't have been, banging on the steering wheel, saying, take this away. I don't want to do this anymore. He never answered that prayer. Eventually, I concluded that either he didn't care or he didn't exist. Today, I'm so glad he didn't answer that prayer. I think we're all made for intimacy. But intimacy carries its risks. People can reject us. People can disappear. They can die. Pornography offers this artificial intimacy with no risks. So every day I said hello to the, to the woman who wouldn't laugh at me or who found me attractive, engaging. And every day I gave a piece of myself away. It left me emptier and hungrier every time. And yet I kept coming back. I was oblivious to what it was doing to my wife until one day she caught me. I don't know how long she'd been standing there, but she was crying. And so I apologized and we talked it through. I was still afraid. A few days later, she found a, a condom on the floor in the bathroom that I couldn't quite explain. This time, she didn't cry. She sat me down on the edge of our bed and she said, I'm done. I still love you, but I don't like you. I don't trust you. I don't respect you. And I don't believe you can ever change. That's what it took for me to get out of my private world. Living in the truth, walking in the light, no matter how other people might perceive it. I mean, that's, that's freedom. And to know that I'm, I don't have to perform to be accepted. I always felt bad that I wasn't a better person. I even created this false self, this Saint Nate that I tried to breathe on its own. I felt bad that, that Saint Nate could only live at church. Now I know that Jesus never loved Saint Nate because he didn't make Saint Nate. He made me. Jesus loves me, wants a relationship with me. And that's the only real relationship there is. There's a tremendous liberty when you arrive in a place that's safe enough to bring your real self and say the real truth. There were men who did that for me, Christian men. And I found that I could give the same gift to another guy, sit down over a cup of coffee and just tell him my story. And even if his life is different from mine and everybody's life is different from mine in the details, something about my story resonated with his. And so many times, by the time we finished, he'd say, well, you know, I've never told anybody this, but he got a taste of freedom too. Because of my addiction, I now understand that, that only God is the center of things. He's actually used my addiction for good. Because of it, I've been forced to join the human race. 
and surrender to a power greater than myself. God is good. God is love. And if I'll follow the path that he's laid out for me, I can live every day in the warmth of his love and I can reflect it to others. I don't think I ever really met Jesus until I stepped out of my, my church persona and became just another desperate, broken man. That's when he really became real to me. This isn't the ministry I've, I planned, <laughs> but I know it's mine. And, uh, and my wife knows it too. We're in it together. My wife will tell you today that she's been married to two guys named Nate Larkin. And as hard as those first 20 years were, she'd take him again to get the last 10. I'm Nate Larkin, and I am second. powerful story of uh, redemption of God's love and I just want to for those of you that are new here you're kind of like I can't believe this guy's talking about this stuff <clears throat> at this place we are real we're real and we're honest and we're broken I was addicted I was but Christ has set me free and that freedom is here for each and every one of you. And again, there's no shame, guilt, or condemnation because God's wrath, it was satisfied on that cross 2,000 years ago. He loves you despite what you may be doing in secret. But the healing might not come until you begin to open up and acknowledge What's really, really going on? We don't want people walking around here. How you doing, brother? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. Huh, really? Let me check your phone. We're, we're not going to do that, though, by the way. <laughs> check your phone. But they're, 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 you know what I'm saying? We don't want to be fake church. We want to be real here. And I'm a broken man, a broken man that has come to Jesus completely depraved in need of healing, and he has healed me. And I've received healing, not just from being Jesus alone, but I received healing through the body of Christ, which is where we're going we're gonna to go. There's other things. I would encourage you to pray this. As some of you do not want to uh, kind of expose yourself, if you will, or, or be open about the struggle that you're going through. Um, listen, God wants to deal with your stuff, but sometimes if we keep pushing God away, he'll expose us like he did Nate. He'll expose us like he did King David. He held in the thing of Bathsheba. He tried to cover it up, but eventually, because God loves you, he will expose you. He doesn't want to do it publicly because love covers what? A multitude of sins. His desire is to cover you, but if you belong to him and you keep saying, no, I don't want to expose myself, I don't want to expose myself, I don't want to tell anybody, I don't want to tell anybody, you may get exposed because he wants to do what he did there. I'm going to be sending out an email that talks about other things concerning sex that I just didn't want to get to here. So again, we'll attach that with the my well, so I'll know you'll read the my well, because you're going to get an email about sex. But I want to just remind everybody about this. Sex was created by God, not Satan. Sex and the best sex you'll ever have is when you do it God's way. When you see it as a form of worship, which is what it is. Some of you husbands are like, yeah, let's get some worship on today, honey. It's one of the highest forms of worship. And listen, in the satanic realm... Whenever they do rituals, it always involves sex. 
temple prostitutes. It involved sex. Why? Because there's something supernatural that takes place when sex happens. And so um, this is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, he who lies with a prostitute becomes one with a prostitute. So, so sex in the marriage bed is a holy, holy thing. Let's continue on. The king, the king has brought me, verse 4, Song of Solomon 1, the king has brought me into his chambers. This is the cry of her heart where she is saying, kiss me, draw me after you, let us run. Your love is better than wine. And now all of a sudden the king answers her and says, yeah, I'm bringing you into my chambers. What was the chambers? Well, in a Jewish wedding, there's all this dancing and partying going on, right? Turning water into wine. It was a seven-day week-long celebration where the whole village was there. But then at some time in the ceremony, the groom and the bride would go into this secret chamber and they would consummate their marriage. And after the consummation of the marriage, the male would come out and he would have the sheet and he would dance with the rest of the party and he would swing around the white sheet that would have blood on it. Why would it have blood? Because God has created Ladies, your bodies, to have this thing called the hymen, and when you first have intercourse with your husband, the hymen breaks and blood comes out. Now, I know we're at adult level here in church, and I'm sorry about it, but this is creation. It's how God made it, and everything points to a covenant union with God. Jesus, his body was broken and blood came out to make a covenant with us. It's why we take communion because we celebrate the covenant that God made with us. And what does Satan want to do? He wants you to create covenants with multiple people so that it's not as special and holy and righteous and perfect. Now listen, there's no judgment. I didn't make it. To my wedding night, there's no judgment. But guess what? God restored what I had messed up with my wife and I. And he redeemed things. Again, ladies, young people, the greatest thing that you can give your spouse, right, is your purity. But if it's like me, listen, and you've messed up, God can redeem that. He can fix that. He can heal that. So as I was a young single guy and I had accountability in my life and for a two-year period, I had guys that were asking me every single week, how are you doing with this? How are you doing this? Man, I'd be three weeks, very good, then I'd fall. And, 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 then, and then three months, and then I'd fall. And then seven months, then I fell. And then I had a whole year where no porn, no self-pleasure, and on my wedding night, I was able to say, I've not been perfect, but I haven't touched myself or I haven't looked at anything or brought any defilement. And now here we are over 20 years later, and I stand before you today as somebody who's to viewpoint at least three times a day, completely addicted to have walked in freedom for 21 years. No porn. And my body doesn't belong to me. I don't have authority over my body anymore. 1 Corinthians 7, 4. We'll get into that another time. But my body is my wife's. And I've given up the right to touch it. That's how I gift, gift my bride. That's how I honor her. As I walk in purity for her. To adore her. To know that she's special. So here the king has brought me into his chambers. There is a consummation. There is an intimacy. There is a love, a purity that's there. But understand this. She has this title of king for him. King. She recognizes him as the reigning king of kings. And she has to do that in order to go into the secret place. She has to acknowledge complete dedication and rule to his authority. 
You might want to write this down. Lordship always precedes the life of intimate love and devotion. Many of us have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, but him being king, yeah, no. And we wonder why we don't get invited in to the deep things of God. It's because you don't really want him. You want to be like the others who want to look from far off. You're my savior, but you're not going to be my king. You're not going to be Lord over my sexuality. I'm going to continue to rule that. Be very careful, beloved. Listen to the next verse. The others are saying, we will exalt and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. Rightly do they love you. Do you see the lack of intimacy? It's not, oh, how I love you. It's how they love you. And remember, they're from the outside looking in. We'll see more of this as we go on with the others. And she responds, I'm very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me. You might want to highlight that. Don't gaze at me because I'm dark, because the sun has looked upon me. She was focused on what was wrong with her. How many of us can relate to that? There was things in her life that she would say, okay, I don't like this about me. Let me just say this. Immature believers, they tend to isolate because they're insecure. They're afraid if they're real, they'll be rejected. And they have a tendency not to trust. So they say, they say don't, don't gaze at me. As we mature, we become vulnerable, we become open, we become transparent, knowing that our story, just like his, can bring freedom. So it's not about us. The first Adam at the tree, he hid. But the second Adam, he embraced the tree, and he was put on the tree, and he became naked and unashamed arms open wide to the world. Whoever wants to come can come. Jesus didn't go into hiding. He opened himself wide to a world. We've got to follow the pattern of the second Adam, not the first. The first Adam will always lead you into hiding. Verse 6 continued, my mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. This is a person that has gone to church, but they just say, you need to serve, 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 serve. You need to perform. You need to do. You need to get busy. And there's a place and time for that. But not at the expense of your own vineyard. Not at the expense of your own vineyard. And so... Don't awaken love until it pleases. There's a timing that you're going to see through this book where you've got to know the season that you're in. And some, it may be a season of running and doing and serving, but here, here, she'd done that her whole life. And so she had a vineyard that was overgrown with weeds. And some of you may be here at Bow Down, and Jesus is going to say, hey, come here, let me pull up these weeds. Let me get some roundup on that. Because it's choking out the life of the seed. Our first responsibility is to our own heart, our own personal walk with Jesus, guarding it, protecting it, nourishing it. And we are in great danger when we get our identity from what we do instead of who we belong to. As many of you may know or may not know, for 20 years, I lived on Tamron Avenue. I moved in with a heart to serve the community. And I believe at the time I did it with a pure heart. But C.S. Lewis talks about the insidious nature of pride that can creep in without you knowing. And so after 20 years, my wife and my kids, we felt led to move out of the community. And all of a sudden, when I left the community, I began to think, what are they going to say about me? Are they going to think I'm a sellout? Are they going to think I walked away from my calling? Are they going to think? Are they going to think? Are they going to think? And why am I caring about what they think? Do you know why? 
because unbeknownst to me, that came to be part of my identity. Oh, Chris, that guy's the real deal. You know, he moved into the inner city. <laughs> no, no, I'm less than dirt. My identity is in Christ and Christ alone. And I'm so thankful that God moved me out because he showed me a root of pride sprung up. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And so what about you? Why has God brought you here? Do you think you're just going to get to work and do something for him? Maybe you stop doing something for a season and you say, God, search me and know my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me, lead me on a right path. Verse seven, tell me. You who my soul loves, soul, that's your mind, will, and emotions. You, I love you, love you, I love you. Tell me, where do you pasture your flock? She's like, I want to be near you. Where you make it lie down at noon. She wants to be with the flock of God. Why should I be like one who veils herself? By the way, those were prostitutes. Prostitutes, they would veil themselves next to the flock. She's like, hey, I'm not one of them. I want to be with your people. I want to be in the flock of God. She's affirming her love because she knows that if she's with the flock of God, she's going to find rest. Where do you rest your sheep? I want to be there with you, O great shepherd. He responds back by saying this, Oh, if you don't know, oh, most beautiful among women. Wait a minute now. She's like, don't gaze at me. Don't look at me. People are mean to me. My own vineyard's overgrown. I haven't kept it. And he doesn't bring any of that up. He just says, oh, you most beautiful among women. See, we don't realize the love that God has for us, that he doesn't see us and what we deserved on the cross. He sees us through the lens of the cross. So we are pure, holy, undefiled and righteous, and we become his most beautiful. For the rest of this book, I want you to highlight the word beautiful whenever he says it. Why? Because some of you Hey, baby, when I married you, I said you were beautiful and I loved you. I don't need to say it again. I said it on our wedding vows. No, stop it. Stop it. Bad answer. He continues to say, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. And we're going to count them out as we go through this book together. Verse 8, follow the tracks of the flock in the pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tent. So he tells her to follow the tracks of the flock. This is really important. We live in a church age where people become regular. And, and by the way, I don't know. I'm not looking at anybody. Let me just close my eyes, okay? Sometimes you just got to speak truth, and it's a lot of ease. In the first service, everything's full, but here I'm like, all right, I see some people here, but I'm not looking at anybody. I'm not talking at anybody. If I needed to confront you, you would know. Trust me. Can I get a witness from somebody? We don't pull punches here. So listen, some, the average attender in the church goes once a month in America, once a month on Sundays. I want you to turn to Luke 4.16 because I want you to see this. <laughs> Some of us think we're better than Jesus. I can't believe you just said that, Chris. Well, you'll see why I said it in a second. He's saying to her, follow the tracks of the flock in the, pe- in the pasture. Be with the shepherds, right? But see... Her brothers were angry with her. They made her do things. That might represent church hurt. And sometimes we leave churches because of inner vows that we've made against pastors, against leadership, against other people. Oh, the church is just a bunch of hypocrites. And they're never going to hurt me again. And so we close ourselves off to the church. But here Christ is telling her, follow the tracks of the flock. Yeah, church history. 
follow the tracks. Look at what Jesus did in Luke 4.16. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, as was his custom. So custom, tradition, pattern of life. He went to the synagogue on Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. He's reading the word on Sabbath. He's in the synagogue. This is why I did, that's why I said some people think they're better than Jesus. Jesus went to church every Sunday or Saturday. But we don't think we need to. Oh, you man, legalism, Chris, legalism. You don't understand grace. No, I understand Jesus. And he was there every Sunday. I want you to turn to Hebrews 10, 24, please. <coughs> Hebrews 10, 24. The plane is coming in for a landing. <clears throat> but I want to give you some things that you can practically walk away with. Hebrews 10, 24, it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's what the church is for, to love. Notice love there is first. Some people don't need to be working in the vineyard right now in their season. They need to be stirred up just to be in love and receive love from God. Other people have been sitting on the bench for five years, and it's time to get up and get to work. But without the discernment of the Holy Spirit, we're not going to know what season people are in. And so God reveal that to us, right? And may we be the kind of people that are honest saying, hey, maybe this isn't your season to serve. Maybe you need to rest. 25, don't neglect, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some. What is it saying? This shouldn't be a habit that you neglect to meet together. But encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near. You want to highlight the day drawing near. It's talking about the last day. The day is coming. We are in the end times. As you see the day drawing near... COVID came over, and everybody was saying, shut the church down. You shouldn't meet unless you, you're, if you meet, you don't love people. Guess what? This church didn't bow down to that. As soon as we could open up, which was a couple weeks later, we opened up, and we were one of the first ones to open up. Why? I'm not going to allow a voice from the world putting a yoke on me and on this church saying, if you meet together, you don't love people. No, I'm going to obey Hebrews 10.25 that says, as the day is drawing near, we are not going to stop meeting together. We need to be closer and closer together. And so there's some churches that might still be shut down. No, we have a place where you can watch it online. If you want to watch it online, we love you. But we are, are not going to disobey Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. We're going to meet together because we love one another and we love God's word. Listen, some of you here, there was churches that got down with BLM and all those riots that happened. We didn't do that. Why? Because we recognize that's not the Holy Spirit. It's a different spirit. How do we know it's a different spirit? Because Isaiah 61 says that when the spirit of the Lord is upon us, we will build up ancient ruins. It doesn't say we will tear them down. That's a different spirit. And when that first came out, I said, if Dr. Tony Evans was leading BLM, I would join them. But he's not, so I'm not getting down with BLM. A lot of people got offended, but understand, people didn't have the discernment. Their tracks were bad. Their flock was bad. Church, in all sincerity, we are in the last days, and the key mark of the end times is deception. You need to be aware of who you're walking with, and you need to look at their past. Did people come under deception? Did they go under deception? Have they renounced the deception that they bought into? More deception's coming. And we need to be aware. It may come from our government, and we will not bow down. It may come from churches that are not walking with Christ, and we will not bow down. We've got to be discerning of the Spirit of God.
You need to be in the flock. You need to be in the flock. And you need to pray for your leadership in the flock. I want you to turn to Hebrews 13, 17, please. And so this is some homework for you. Some of you may be convicted because of this. And that's okay. Conviction's good. We need a church and church leadership that walks with discernment because we can all come under deception. So there's no judgment or condemnation for those that were deceived. Listen, it's okay. Repent and get back on track. But you're called to follow the tracks of the flock. You've got to be discerning. Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Man, I wish that verse wasn't in the Bible. Because I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to have to give an account. I'm going to be judged. That's why James 3.1 says, hey, not many of you should become teachers. And so there is a great fear and reverence that I have before the Lord. But I'm concerned with our church living in an age that just disrespects authority. We disobey scripture that says honor the emperor and the emperor of that time was killing Christians and we dishonor president. We we just dishonor governing officials and we disobey Romans 13, just not honoring, speaking flippantly there. And then in the home, Children dishonoring parents. Wives not understanding that your husband is head of the home and you just speak to him any type of way you want. You get into your feelings and you don't think nothing about it. (sighs) There's not an honor there. Because the feminine spirit has come into the church of Jesus Christ and without discernment, we don't recognize it. Christ is head of the, the, the man But the man is head of the wife. You're equal in Christ, but he's an authority, ladies. And then we get to church. Where we just flippantly speak against leadership. And we disobey 1 Peter 5 that says, hey, you younger ones, submit to your elders. Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And we just, we just kind of flippantly reject what leaders and elders are saying. Like, like th- these guys are just kind of up here, you know? No, I'm someone that goes before God understanding I'm going to have to give an account one day. How I shepherded your soul. That's why you're like, this guy has hit like everything today. He's hit porn, he's hit this, he's hit this, he's hit this, and now he's hitting me. Yeah. is serious. And when I look at this verse, let them do this with joy and not groaning. (laughs) I was sitting in this verse this past week, and I'm just like, you know, Lord, if I lined up all the people that bring me joy, and then I lined up all the people that make me groan, what line would be longer? You don't want to know my answer. And so if you're here today, listen, can you try to bring me some joy? In the leadership, you know, children's church, right? Like, hey, I can't make it this morning. I got invited out on a boat. Matthew 18, you cause one of these little ones to stumble. It's like, uh, anyway, I won't go there. But we just flippantly blow off responsibilities and disrespect leadership. It's a lot today, isn't it? But the average church attenders once a month, that's why I got to get it all in. Because I might not see you. Worship team, come on up, please.
Father, as we quiet our hearts before you, prayer partners, if you could just come forward, please. Lord, we hear a lot of stuff today. And God, I know that there's, there's church hurt for sure. And maybe even I've been the culprit of, of inflicting that. And so, God, you know that's not my heart. I pray, God, for restoration and healing, healing of those wounds, God. I pray, God, that our church would, we would honor leadership and we'd walk in purity and we'd bring each other joy. God, I pray off defilement over everyone that's here that has viewed pornography and has defiled the marriage bed. I pray for holiness and righteousness in order, God, that what we read in this book would begin to happen in the marriage bed. The joy, the worship, the adoration. And so, God, forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Cleanse us us of all defilement, God. May there be a purity come back into your church body. And Jesus, more than anything, may we stop looking at what's wrong with us. And may we hear you say, you are so beautiful, my beloved. You are the most beautiful. May we receive, God, your love and your affection. And how you sing over us, how you rejoice over us with loud songs of singing. We love you, Jesus. Come and have your way as we worship you. Purify our gaze. Purify our heart so that we kiss towards you, God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.